Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential. On the road, Chris Anderson. It's Indianapolis. It's apparently in between 31 and 33 degrees outside. It's hailing. It rained the entire time I travel, but I must say it's it's good to be back on the road again. Uh, I, I don't want to hear any complaints because apparently you're still in the eastern time zone. How did I not know that Indianapolis was in the eastern time zone? They... They don't fall back. Is that right? I don't know. I, I mean, I'm looking at, I don't know. I just assumed that it was central time zone. So I'm sitting here trying to coordinate all this stuff with you and thinking of game plans for post game and us podcasting and all this stuff. And then I'm like, wait, I, I mean, Eastern time. You're like, mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm on Eastern time too. So, okay. I, I need a geography lesson, but, um, that, that's for another time. I guess we'll focus on the basketball game that's coming up Friday night for West Virginia. I know someone's going to know this and and have a have a good answer better than I do and you do and, and maybe better than we should have. But from what I understand, m- maybe a dozen to 18 counties in Indiana do not observe daylight savings time. And they happen to be in like the complete different parts of the state, if I remember correctly, like it's not like the eastern part of it, and then it fades to the western part of it. I think it's like the northeast and the southwest. It has to do with farming, I believe, and some people choose to participate, and some people don't, and some farmers are like, "Now nah, we're good." But I think like during the year, like there's there's parts of the state that just don't observe it. It's it's the same time all year, so we catch up at some point. Whether or not I'm there or not, I don't know. And this is my second time covering the tournament in Indianapolis. Um, first time in 11 years, so I'm not brushed up. But I was very confused because I was thinking in my head, this game, as you know, starts at a god-awful time tonight. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get, let's see, back in my room, this and this. I'll have an extra hour on everybody. No, it's going to be the exact same time as, as you and, and everybody else in West Virginia. So I'm, I'm not stealing any time here. And I'll be probably getting back to my room at like 2? 2.30? Two, what do you think? Nine fifty stars. How how quickly are they kicking you out after the game again? Half an hour after the game. <laughs> if there's no that don't know, it's usually what two two to three two hours or so you get after the game to to hang out in the press box and get some work done. Yeah, it's a different experience this year. There's there's no media shuttles, which is probably not a surprise. I don't want a bunch of people condensed into one spot. Um, I had to test before I came, and I have to test in between rounds. And um, I know some people because of their employment, are not leaving in between rounds. Typically, people who have to travel a long way because you fly home, you fly back to Indianapolis. It's not like their first round and second round games are in Indianapolis and their second round games are somewhere closer to home. And you go to a different location for the second and third round, which is common. Everything's in Indianapolis, so a lot of people are staying. I'll be driving back after one of these games coming up and perhaps driving back next week. I have to be careful what I say there, right? Knock on wood, mm-hmm. jinx something. Um, and then if I do leave, I have to test on the way back. So, And then if I get it here, if I do test positive, um, I think this is the same across the, the landscape, confined in my hotel room for a while, which I'll get fattened up my Marriott account, which has been pretty thin the past year. Um, but I don't know. I'd rather not. <laughs> I'd rather not go down that route right now, too. I think and we'll get to this. I think I'll be here until Sunday. Don't you agree? I do. I think there's obviously some interesting, uh, uh, interesting aspects about this game on Friday night. You've gone over it in great detail throughout the week, but um, 
you know, whatever the spread is, 12 and a half, I believe is what, mm-hmm. what it opened up with William Hill. But, um, it, that's a lot, but you know, I, I think I feel comfortable in saying that West Virginia should win this game on Friday night, um, against a Moorhead state team that has a couple good players, but, but West Virginia does have, does have the horses to, to handle their business. And to answer your question, um, I think it has to do with just the amount of people that are allowed in after the game, but they only have 10 seats for the teams covering the people covering the team. So five for me and West Virginia's media horde, and then five for Moorhead state's media horde. Um, maybe we can extend that cause there's not a game after us. You know what I mean? Like right. if you're at the noon game tomorrow, that, that is prime real estate. You got to go. So maybe you go to a media room or whatever, but you got like, I can't even get into an hour before tip. And the, like my point is that they're on top of these things and, um, doing the smartest stuff they possibly can. I've heard some bad stories about the initial bubble, but I think once everybody got tested and they were allowed to move around, that was good. And near as I can tell, nothing's going on. I'm not in a media hotel. I'm in the outskirts. I'm kind of in between all the different possible venues except the ones in West Lafayette and Bloomington. I don't anticipate being there, but centralize it as much as I can and found myself a place I can get a nasal swab on Saturday because testing in between rounds. And as I said, do anticipate being here because... I don't buy the hype about a 14 over a three in this one, similar to 2016 Uh, written about this. The coach has talked about it. Of course, Bob Huggins is going to say it's not going to happen. I'd be very surprised if it happened. This team is different, but even the comparisons aren't the same. I believe we talked about this Monday and uh, the more I watch Moorhead state, they're, they're not as good offensively or defensively as, as Stephen F. Austin. I think everybody remembers Thomas walk up. Yeah. Pretty good offensive player, player of the year. But they pressed a lot and they were aggressive on defense. I don't see an individual, like a dynamic individual offensive player like that who's going to get, you know, 30-plus points and get hot. Um, and I don't think their defense for Moorhead State is as good. It does rank very well, but I think you look at that as a relative comparison to offenses in the OVC, and maybe that has something to do with it. But principles, fundamentals, they're probably well-schooled, but they're going to see something different offensively from West Virginia, I'm sure. It's funny when you go around to all you hear, everybody obviously and understandably gives their opinion on the bracket, what they think is going to happen, what the upsets are going to be, who's going to make a surprise run. And sometimes there's that one pick, a 12 over a five, a 13 over a four, something like that, that everybody's kind of on. Everybody kind of feels it, thinks it doesn't mean it's going to, it, it always happens, but there, there kind of seems to be a tidal wave of support for that upset or for, say, a three or a four seed to be that team that sneaks into the Final Four. And you, it's it's strange because you get both with this West Virginia team. You, I, I've seen several people that have listed this game as upset watch, first-round upset watch. It's going to be one of the biggest upsets, maybe the biggest upset in the first round. And then you got other people saying, ah, West Virginia will handle their business. They're a sleeper pick for the Final Four. Our girl sister, Jean, out of Chicago <laughs> – picking West Virginia in the final four. I, I mean, no offense to uh, fellow CBS sports uh, compatriot, uh, Matt L- Norlander, but I'm siding with sister Jean on this one over, over Mr. Norlander uh, with West Virginia and, and how I think they're going to fare in this tournament final four. That's asking a lot, but first round exit, I'm just not feeling it. Um, but just, just pointing out, there seems to be a wide range of expectations for this West Virginia team. And, what have we been saying since the moment Oscar Sheboy walked out the door? This team's ceiling is sky high and their floor is very low. Yeah. So it, it all fits. It all makes sense. And you can't, I, I just don't feel like 
you can really blame anybody for feeling one way or the other about this team. Here's a theory I have. If if Janai Broom, Janai, by the way, if Janai Broom was six foot three, you would be more concerned about West Virginia in this game. Discuss. I I don't even know how to rebut that. I just um, I, I'm not worried about a six ten guy getting twenty eight and fifteen against West Virginia. I would be worried about a six three guy who could score twenty eight and make six threes. Okay. Okay, I see what you mean. I was like, is this 6'3 guy? You think a 6'3 guy is going to handle Derek Culver in the post better? I'm not sure what's going on here. Okay, right. I see what you're saying. If, yes. if their star player was a guard or a wing, I would feel a lot more I concerned about West Virginia's defense. 100% with you. 100%. West, Virgi- West Virginia is going to lose this game because, or not, excuse me, West Virginia is going to be knocked out of this tournament when a team with a ball-handling guard or wing just gets to the paint at will. That's when they'll lose this game, mm-hmm. or this, or in, lose in this tournament. Other thirteen, excuse me, other fourteen three games. Texas is a nine point favorite. Kansas is a ten point favorite. Arkansas is an eight and a half point favorite. So of the fourteen three games, oh. West Virginia has the highest point spread. Vegas always knows, Mike. Vegas and always yet, knows. And yet, if you look at the the percent for these these pools where they, they publicize their picks. Of the of the three fours, excuse me, three fourteens, I believe in in most of the ones I've seen, West Virginia has been the I don't know the least favored of the favorites. Some of them um, have picked out Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington can really score, so mostly. But I mean, typically, typically Vegas does know. So twelve and a half points is a pretty good spread, even in a, in a three fourteen game. Um, I don't know. And then we'll have our eye on the Syracuse San Diego State game because that'll be tipping. Um, they actually play in Hinkle, I believe. But that'll start 10 minutes before West Virginia. Um, and I think that if I have this right, the winners will play Sunday afternoon. We've been saying that they would probably get a late time slot just because it's hard to ask a team that plays at 9.50 to turn around and play at like noon or 2 o'clock on Sunday. I forgot they have like primetime TV on Sunday that they have to get. So I think that you're not going to see a lot of late starts. Now, granted, you'll have half as many games on um, Sunday as you did on Friday. So they won't have quite as many time windows, but you think four o'clock's a good enough turnaround? If they need more time, I mean it's not enjoyable, but I think in my eyes, as long as it's even, and and we found out, you know, with the Syracuse game tipping off at nine forty, you know, ten minutes before West Virginia, that's even. That that's as good as it's going to get, and and that's all you can really ask for is just that these the two teams that are going to play each other in the next round ha- are playing at the same time in the previous round. Cause I think if, you know, say Syracuse won uh, earlier in the day and or beat San Diego state, sorry, earlier in the day at like 2 PM and then had the whole evening to rest and go to sleep early, get their legs back and have a nice little shoot around, walk around on Saturday morning and, and be fully rested for a Sunday game. That's just not fair. But for both of them to, to tip off at the late game, I think, you know, obviously you want to try to get it later for, for health reasons, but as far as being even and being fair, uh, it's all you can ask for. Here's a, a wrinkle for you. Mm-hmm. at Let's see. At 4 o'clock at Hinkle, which is Baylor's Arena, it's the Hoosiers Gym. It's a really cool place. If you ever get a chance to watch a game there, it's unbelievable. Um, I got lucky there once. Gonzaga Baylor many years ago. Um, excuse me, Gonzaga Butler. 8-9 is Loyola Chicago Georgia Tech, 4 o'clock. 
there's no other game there until the Syracuse San Diego State game at 940. That 940 tip is going to happen. Um, West Virginia is 950. Purdue North Texas is at 725. There's no way that game will be over in time to play at 950, right? No. No way. So they're not starting at 950. Uh, that's that's not what I wanted to hear, Mike. <laughs> Rain, hail, sleet on your parade, as it turns out, live yes. from Indianapolis. Let's um let, let's get into this this matchup here. A whole lot of talking about it, writing about it. It's time to actually figure this out. Um, I'm the one thing I'm most curious about here is that this game could be pulled even if if West Virginia is adversely affected by having not played since March. What was it, 11th, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, a late start. New gym. This just feels like a, a nine to four at the first media timeout score, and then like thirty-one to twenty-seven at halftime, and who knows what happens. Um, I, I think that you're going to see some type of close thing for a while, and ultimately maybe a separation there because I just think their offense is good enough to do it. But we'll see. You know, it's going to require some shooting. But um, I don't know. Early on, do you foresee rustiness? And, and then don't forget, March sixth is the last time that Moorhead State played. Um, how much of a factor is that? How much of a factor is? haven't been here for, for Moorhead State, haven't been here since Sunday, West Virginia since Monday. A long time just to get to Thursday, and then a long time, from, or excuse me, to Friday, and then a long time just to get to today, and then to the game. Just the variables here. How much of a fact do you think that has? I think that delay those first couple of days might have really messed things up. I think getting there as early as they did, it actually helps, because you could tell when Deuce McBride was talking to the media, he just said, you know, it was that first day they were just – cooped up in their room they couldn't do anything he was just sitting there reading a book had nothing to do and then they were able to kind of get back into the flow after that first whatever it was 24 hours and or 48 hours and and play some basketball do some walkthrough get in the gym check everything out so i think that helps getting there early helps the issue i see and why i think it's going to be a lower scoring game and kind of funky and rusty some people are going to probably chalk it up as rust but it i can't undersell i can't understate enough or overstate enough how strange it is to shoot in a football stadium oh it's so big in there too it is so it is it is so big that it literally has two floors on it uh for those who don't know you know they're, they're playing all around uh indiana indianapolis and lucas oil stadium where the colts play that's where west virginia is going to be playing there is a south court and a north court they literally have two halves of the of the football stadium split in middle with you know they're not going to have the games going on at the same time obviously that would that would kind of flout the attendance rules but uh, i'm imagining it's kind of staggering where you play on south court and then right after south court ends you can kind of get ready to start on the north court and flip flop back and forth but it's so big the angles are so strange the depth perception with everything behind you is so strange. And I feel like every time I've watched a big, important NCAA tournament game in a football stadium, the long-distance shooting is just wonky. And that's not great Uh-oh. news if you're a West Virginia fan. Um, so I, I think people might chalk that up to rust since both teams have been off for a while and been in, an app, in a bubble and sitting in hotel rooms for a while. But I would chalk it up more to that, to playing in that football stadium. Pause for a second here. Pause. Could, okay. Could they play games concurrently? Like, could that 725 game be wrapping up while West Virginia starts? I don't know. I don't, I don't know how close you can cut it, how quickly you can get those people out on that side of the court or usher them out the other end while you bring them in that one side. I don't know. 
I, I'm not aware of this. I knew they were going to have the two courts, but I'm thinking now, like, you could partition it for sure where fans couldn't see both games. Like, that, that place is so big inside. You could put two courts there and two grandstands for the stadium seating yeah. and, and not have to worry about it. I, I, that would be very interesting. I don't know what you do about a scoreboard. Um, that's prohibitive. Um, I'm not sure that could work. But, I, again, I'll, I'll go to the story here in a second. The Carrier Dome, if you've ever been there for a basketball game, and I was there for the tournament, it would have been in 2010. Um, it's so big that the the actual arena um, for the game has whatever, however many, many thousand seats, 17, 18,000 seats. That place seats way more than that. You can get 30-something thousand for a basketball game alone. But there was a whole separate complex for all the locker rooms that have to accommodate every team, all the media rooms for um, photos, printing, eating, working, and then where you're going to have your breakouts for players and all that stuff. Like you could have put a second court in there. You would have never even known. I wonder if you can do something like that. Um, speaking of Syracuse, um, I like this coach from Moorhead State, Preston Spradlin. Have you caught any of his act this week? I have not. He's a pretty cool guy. Um, a whole story I don't want to get into, but like he was on the team. He was a, an assistant on the team where the coach got fired for like headbutting his players, allegedly. Um, actually, he resigned. But he got charged, resigned, and he's at... I'm trying to think of where he's at now. Southern. He's the head coach at Southern, I believe. Sean Woods. So he ends up getting the interim job, and he ends up earning it because they went, I think, 12-8, and 12-9 with him. So he's been there since, um, as the head coach, since the 17-18 season. Um, that year, they went to Syracuse and played, and he says that they're watching film of the game before they play, and as everybody knows, it's very hard to shoot at Syracuse, another football stadium. It's a dome. Cavernous really weird backdrop it's difficult he says that he grabs a ball and their their game day shoot around and just starts raining threes and saying oh man it's a shooter's gym shooter's gym guys it's a shooter's gym all of a sudden his guys weren't mentally intimidated by it now they shot 30 percent in the first half <laughs> lost by 14 but they shot 47 percent in the second half but he said that like I, I promise you lucas oil stadium is a shooter's gym I, I wonder if um what i always find remarkable about huggins is he, he does not play games like he's not going to trick his team anything like that he's going to call his team the worst defensive team in the country or the worst defensive team he's ever had and then laugh about it two days later he doesn't have a, another rebuttal when it is a really bad defensive team but he doesn't get into gimmicks and things like that I, I just wonder about the preparation for west virginia having not played in a while um you know they don't shoot in the coliseum a bunch yeah they play they practice generally in their practice facility which is different sometimes at the beginning of the season players have said it's just an adjustment because we haven't been in here we always in the practice facility we haven't played a game here um, I think that's going to be a factor. And this just feels like a low scoring first half. I'm not getting into gambling and over unders and stuff like that. I can just see this being close in the first half. Um, segue. How do you get hot against this team? Are there matchups or stats or just areas of play that you've circled? I, I know people are going to be thinking, oh my God, Chris never says this, but it, do, do you just feed it to Derek Culver? over and over again. I mean, sometimes I think West Virginia does that to their detriment almost, like they get too focused on it um, or have in the past. They haven't done it quite as much anymore. But I think when their main guy is, you said it's Joni? Janai. Janai, broom. Um, I mean, he's 6'10", like Culver, but he's a lot thinner. He's a lot younger. I, I think Culver can get some work in done down there is what I'm trying to say here. I think he can wear broom down broom already only kind of limits himself to 25 minutes per game. Um, yeah. He can get in foul trouble. 
So I think uh, it's weird for me to say there's people who be like, ah, Chris, you you always, you know, nag about West Virginia being too focused on getting into the post. But I think this is one of those instances where it would really benefit them because I don't see anywhere near, you know, somebody as good enough behind him to really step in. And if they can just pound the rock into Culver, get Broom worn out or into foul trouble, I think that's the best way if that shot's not falling early. If, if you're not hitting it early, I would, I would, if it's still, you know, if it's a 14 14 game and we're nearing the under eight timeout or like 10 minutes left in the first half, I'm saying pound it, toss it to Derek. And Derek's touching the ball every single time down the court from now on. Every time. He doesn't have to shoot it every time, but he needs to touch it every time. Yeah, Jani Broom is 6'10", 235, first-team all-conference. He's 13-9, nine rebounds a game. Um, reminds me a little bit of Culver. He's not as big, and Culver was bigger as a freshman, but this is a left-handed guy who does everything through his right shoulder, um, starts a lot on the right block and works to his left, so his left hand gets a lot on defensive rebounds. Um, difference is he's lighter and younger and is a much better defensive player. Um, Huggins made a comparison to Chris Bosh, which is kind of interesting. I'll trust him. Um, I hadn't thought about that, but... I don't think he extends nearly as well as Bosch could, but Bosch was pretty limited at Georgia Tech, a freshman, and then he went pro. So it never got to see his full game there, obviously developed in the NBA, but uh, Broom is not leaving the shadow of the basket. Uh, they'll know where to find him. So, yeah, I think that's a good tactic. Test him. I mean, see if this kid can actually do it because he's not seen someone like Colbert in a long time and doesn't have a backup. He was supposed to be the backup this year. They had a 6'9", 240 kid who averaged like nine and six last year, who was supposed to be their, their guy in the post this year. He tore his ACL in November and they had to really elevate in a hurry broom. And then he really got going once they had about 10 days off around Christmas. And, and again, he just, he laid waste to the, the big, uh, the OBC like 14 and nine were his averages. And he's on a roll. He's playing with a lot of confidence, 27 and 12 against Belmont, but he has not seen a team as athletic or a player as athletic as Culver, which I went, here's my question. Um, do you, do you let Culver go one-on-one defensively against him? Because they're like West Virginia. They're going to throw a lot to Broom. And then can he score? Can he pass to shooters? Can guys, you know, buzz around him and get back cuts or anything like that? I don't know. Do you let Culver go? Because Culver isn't a good defensive player. We, we've seen that. Um, probably hasn't seen the back-to-the-basket guy like Broom. Like, think about that. When's the last time that he saw, like, a real back-to-the-basket score like Broom? <laughs> it's been a while. I'm, right? I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like, who else is in that league is like that, you know, I think maybe you might think of Jericho Sims from Texas like that, but does he really like back you down in the post? Like, yeah. not really. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably McCormick and he, yeah. he had good success against McCormick, but that was a long time ago. Um, he's, he's way different than, you know, manic or anybody like that. Uh, Caleb Boone's a little bit different. You know, he, he kind of gets his just off of activity. So I, I wonder if, if you, do you do that or, do you let Culver try to do his thing or just just to really fluster Broom and then like to see if he can make passes out of double teams? Can he get trapped on the block or on the baseline or in the corner or on the perimeter? Can he do something with it against, you know, a second defender like a McBride or like a Matthew, somebody who is smart and quick and knows what to do and won't get a foul um, and will just contribute to that? I would I have theories about this we'll get into, but. Um, I would try to make stuff difficult on Broom. I would challenge him in multiple ways. That means, hey, get it to Culver. Let him work on him on offense and see what he can do. Can he get him up in the air? Can he get him on the bench? Great. But when Broom gets the ball, which is going to happen, listen, I have a really good first-team all-conference player, but I don't have a first-team all-conference defender. I have a first-team all-conference offensive player and rebounder. I don't want him on the bench. Do I help him? Do I help Culver? 
do I help Culver to keep him on the floor? Do I help Culver to make life miserable on Broom? I really think about that. That's not something they do a whole lot. You very rarely see them double and send a second at people. But again, have they seen a guy like this for a while? And is that a way to unplug him? Um, Huggins is really big into do what you do. They don't do that. That doesn't mean they can't or they won't. Certainly, I think that would catch them by surprise. Speaking of Moorhead State, I wonder if there's something to that. Would you send a second guy? Would you trap and pester and double team at times? Jani Broom. I got I got some thoughts on that and some other thoughts on on the Broom matchups with Culver and and kind of touching on stuff you've discussed before about the the talent level. But first, would I double Broom? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would. I would be at the moment the ball goes in there. I'd have somebody coming to double. Uh, it doesn't have to stay long, but I would try to make him make quick decisions because he he is a freshman. And if you can kind of rattle him, it's all, it's like it's just like in football when you say you want to you want to rattle that quarterback, you want to make him think, make him make decisions, and and you blitz him, you come from different angles uh, on the young quarterbacks to kind of make them make those quick and tough decisions. And I think if West Virginia can do that off off of anybody except for Cooper, maybe. Um, at T Cooper, not D Cooper. Um, I would I would do that as much as possible. Um, something no. I was looking up. At, sorry, go ahead. I'll come that would back be, to my other part. That would be that would be Talon Cooper, T A L O N, which is a wonderful name for a guy who plays for the Moorhead State yes. Eagles. Yes, but he's Talon actually, and yeah. again, really good bench player. He's a six four guy who's going to play point guard and two guard, and he's he's a killer on ball screens too. So. You know, that's something to think about too. How they guard ball screens, double teams. You know, hey, get started early, right? Yeah. Uh, looking back at while you were talking there just a second ago, I went and looked back at at Broom's games, and it's you mentioned it. Huggins mentioned it when you asked him about the winning nineteen in the last twenty, and and Huggins said they haven't played in the Big Twelve. And what an answer, by the way. What an answer. <laughs> and I was. You were about to. I thought he was going to just cut it there, and you were about to get the the Chris treatment and mm-hmm. just not be allowed to get a full answer anymore but he went on and he's right because if you look back to their non-conference schedule they were four and six before they got into conference play or maybe even somewhere around there four and six they were sub 500 they Mm -hmm. lost four of their first five games in the year and when i look back at the power five call them power five whatever high major Mm -hmm. games that they played broom Against Kentucky, uh, where is he at? Off the bench, eleven and five, pretty good, not bad. Ohio State. That was the boat race, though. He cleaned up at the end of that game. Yeah, I was gonna say that that was off the bench. That was in minutes late, you know, against second and third stringers. So, Clemson, uh, six points, three rebounds. Struggled. Struggled. A very good Ohio- defensive team too. Ohio State, three points on one of six shooting, six rebounds. Um. It when he has had to play at the level that, of teams that West Virginia plays every day, every game, he hadn't been that great. And I think that goes to the point that, that you've been making this week and that Bob Huggins made when, when you asked him that question to start the week. This ain't the Big 12. And I don't think we're going to see Broom go 25 and 15 on Friday night. I think it's it's far if you had to make me choose is is broom going to go 20 and 10 or is he going to go you know nine and four i would feel like it's more likely that he's going to go nine and four in this game just because i think the talent level the discrepancy between battling a big 12 a big 10 team 
five-star recruits, four-star recruits, and beating up on their conference is pretty drastic. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What they do well is is they're active around him, too. Um, he doesn't take a ton of shots, but I mean, in 19 in his last game, that's kind of an anomaly, but he really got a cooking latter half of the season where he was in double figures, but... Um, he can be quieted too. There's something to be said about his schedule, though. Again, we're we're talking about the first ten games of his true freshman season. Um, this is not a big time recruit. It's a big time recruit for Moorhead State. I don't mean that to demean Moorhead State at all, but they're really happy to get him, and rightfully so. As it turns out, he's pretty good. But he was supposed to be the backup this year, and the first ten games against really good teams, they they tried to figure out what to do with him. Um, we got to get him going. Got to get him going. When when they got out of the Kentucky Richmond back to back. Richmond was pretty good that year at the beginning of the year, too, and he was three for eight in that game, six points, six rebounds. Um, they lined up against Arkansas State, probably a more equivalent team to who they were, 28 minutes, 25 points, 12 rebounds. And they said, oh, gosh, got something here. And then once that break hit, um, I don't know what happened in that Clemson game with him. 23 minutes, he's two for four, he had six points, but he didn't start the next game, and he was 0 for four. Uh, or excuse me, 0 for two. He only played four minutes. Something must have been up there, right? But yeah. They get him back, and then he just starts rattling off double-doubles, 14 and 12, 20 and 10, 14 and 10 um, throughout the conference. So if nothing else, he's confident. And, again, they, they put guys around him who can shoot. I know that people did not like my comparison to West Virginia. I would say that both coaches have said that they are similar teams. So, haha. But they have guys who can shoot. They do not shoot well as a team. Um, they're way down there in the, in the three-point percentage rankings. But – I'm looking at starters here, 35, 37, 33% from three, uh, 31% from three. So four guys who start shoot 30% or better from three. 30% is not good. 35, 37, that's good. And then Talon Cooper is, is just a good player. Um, 8.2 points per game, but he shoots 39% from three. He gets rebounds. He gets assists. He gets steals. Uh, where are his numbers? 8-2 from the scoring, 2.1 rebounds, 3.6 assists. Uh, does turn it over, though. Um, this team does turn it over, <laughs> um, which leads me to this, too. Um, they, they are active. They're not a high-scoring team. They play slow. They're one of the slower teams in the Ken Palm ratings. They turn over a bunch. Uh, I will go to friend of the program, Josh Witt. He says that, uh, and he's right here. I did not know this until I read him. But Moorhead State turns the ball over on 23% of their possessions, the worst for a team in the NCAA tournament. Um, I can't get past that. I can't get past that. <laughs> and we're talking about double-teaming broom. We've seen West Virginia be really civ and really, I would say, subservient, uh, submissive on defense. 
I, I this is just a game where I, I think Huggins says, you know what? Sick him. And you trap in the corners, you double team out top, you do what you can, you get the ball out of one of the Cooper's hands, get it to a guy who maybe isn't as great with the ball, doesn't make good decisions, doesn't shoot, turns it over a lot. I don't know why they're not trapping, and and I don't know if it's run and jump. I don't know if it's just trapping the ball stops. Uh, I would be really squeezing ball screens and trying to do stuff. like there. There is a gear that West Virginia can get to without going to full press Virginia, but when you look at the amount of turnovers this team has, it's a problem. And when they play teams that that play fast, and in that conference, it's Tennessee State, it's Belmont, it's Austin P. teams that kind of go up and down and have some pace, they really struggle with turnovers and they take a lot of threes. That's what I want them doing. I want them turning the ball over and I want them shooting threes because they're not comfortable, they're not effective shooting threes, and no one's good turning the ball over, too. Um, is it is it within West Virginia to play not press Virginia, but certainly not 2021 West Virginia defense? I think we've seen it. Yeah, a little bit like at times, not 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 even full games, maybe not even full halves or even full quarters. But we've seen it at times. We saw it a little bit against Oklahoma State where they started kind of pressing up on Cade Cunningham, throw a quick double, try to get the ball out of his hand, get the ball out of somebody else's hand. So they're capable of it. And, you know, the the issue has been kind of do they have the depth to do they have the depth and do they have the rim protector? No and no. Mm-hmm. But that's all relatively speaking. They don't have the depth in the rim protector to do that against the Big 12 team that's ranked in the top 15 in the country. But they might have the uh, enough depth and enough of rim protection uh, to handle it against a Moorhead State. So, yeah, I, I mean, it, as much as what I said for how to defend Broom, it would make sense. I, I wasn't aware of this 20%. That is absolutely an absurd rate. Huge. 20%. 23 um, that I would, I mean, I can't get over that. So that, that would, I would expand my, my, Hey, quick double, hit him with a quick double. I would expand that to multiple players and, and, and really try to get after him. Yeah. And the guys you don't want to help off of are Devon Cooper and Skylar Potter. Devon Cooper, neither one of these guys are on the team last year. And so, and I think when you look at their, when you look at their four and six start against good teams, uh, they also played two against Transylvania. So <laughs> let's just say they were two and six in their first eight games. Transylvania is a division three team. Um, but they have four guys who didn't play last year. Like, well, actually, uh, yeah, Devon Cooper got hurt after five games. KJ Hunt was on another team. Skylar Potter was on another team. And Janai Broom was a, was a high school senior last year. I, I can forgive that a little bit. So I, I do think there's something to their 19-1 stretch. But, um, listen, Devon Cooper and Skylar Potter are going to shoot about 10 threes per game and make about four of them a piece, it would seem like, or four out of 10. So that's okay. They're about 38 39% shooters. That's okay for them. But you got to be careful helping off of them. But pressure them too because they both turn over too, and the guys that handle the ball for them turn over. Uh, Cooper, Devon Cooper has 69 turnovers this year. Potter has 63. KJ Hunt and another starter has 71. Those are the guys that handle the ball. Um, that's a lot of turnovers. And every what what Huggins has said and what some of the coaches and players in Morehead State have said is that Broom's a really good passer. Has 19 assists and 56 turnovers. Let's, let's slow down there a little bit. Let's see him. Let's see him end up positive. Let's see him make three or four passes out of a double that don't go into the stands. Or don't go to Jalen Bridges, or or aren't you know way wide of the player who's open at the time. I would just try to speed them up and make it difficult and and see if it works there too. Um, conversely, if if we were a Moorhead State podcast, Chris, um, and we don't know everything that we do know about West Virginia, but what what do you think that they would be focusing on that are kind of red flags or maybe even obvious areas of concern that a team that has you know five, six days to sit down and, and study West Virginia. What are they looking at? Who are they looking at? 
Well, I think the things that okay well first to answer your question about who they who who are they looking at what are they looking at i it's been the same as it's been all year is is get in to the paint dribble past your man because west virginia has not yet proven this season that they can keep anybody out of the paint and, and not i'm not talking big men i'm talking straight dribbling guys as huggins's favorite term straight line driving guys uh, that is where west virginia really gets hurt and i think that's where morehead state might be able to you know, take advantage of that. I don't know if that's their forte really, but that is something they can do. I think if I were looking at this from a Moorhead State perspective, uh, you know, I've given the, hey, reasons why West Virginia is going to cruise in this game. And it, it may sound like I, I, I'm being very down on Moorhead State, but it, here's where I'd be concerned if I were a West Virginia fan. Moorhead State has one of the best three-point defenses in the country. Yeah. 30%. Um, I think it's ranks like 30th, 30, somewhere around the 30th range in the, in the nation, uh, 300 some teams. They also don't foul a lot. No, they like hardly at all. Like they're top 15, top 20 in that, in that ranking as well. Like 20% of possessions, which is uh, to me when I, when I read that, that sounded like a ton, but it's actually quite low uh, to foul one out of every five possessions. But you know, that's that's two things that I think work in their favor because West Virginia does do a, a fairly good job and has shown at times recently that they can get to the line, that they can get to the line a, a good amount in each game. And if Moorhead State doesn't put them on the line and plays tight defense on the on the perimeter, how's West Virginia scoring? And right. then that's when you come back to my, my point earlier of got to feed it into Culver and see what he can do. Let him cook down low. Um it's, you know, it, uh, you can't completely write off Moorhead State here. They have some things working in their favor in this matchup. They, um, I think they're the third fewest fouls per game in the tournament. And you're right, top 15 or so in the country. And their their foul percentage is right there with UVA. Um, this is not a comparison, but they play like UVA on defense. I think Huggins even said it has some pack line to it. It's not pack line, but it has some pack line. And like teams like that will give up three pointers sometimes. They don't, so they must close out and and be really good. They can test everything. Like they'll send a second guy and they'll get really good help defense and they'll contest. And they spill things toward Broom and Broom blocks about two shots per game. When he's in the game, he's pretty good. They don't really have another guy back there, so that's why he's so important. Um, and again, don't foul, and they get a lot of points at the free throw line. They're um they're up there like top thirty in the country in free throws per shot from the floor. Um, you know, like one out of every three shots they get a foul out of or free throw out of. So that's that's pretty good. And that means that they're around the basket a lot. And I'm assuming you hadn't heard this, Chris, uh, but Preston Spradlin says their game is paint touches. They chart it. And if they're not on pace, they they figure out a way to get back on pace. Paint touches, broom, cutter, backdoor, handoff, weave, whatever. Get someone going downhill so they can get paint touches. Um, don't take a lot of long twos, a lot of layups, a lot of stuff that's in the paint, and then they rebound well enough in their conference that they're confident that they can grab a floater and put it back up. They can grab a runner and put it back up, um, and that is kryptonite for West Virginia. They haven't kept teams out of the paint. They don't have a rim protector. Um, that's that's how this game gets hairy. That's how this game turns into you know 61-61 with five minutes left, and you're saying, oh, my gosh, how did this happen? So. They're going to have to find a way there because they're going to spread out and they're going to draw them out and they're going to make, you know, Culver play one-on-one against Broom sometimes if the doubles are working or if they're not coming. They're going to try to figure out a way to spread it out so you can't double. And do they have an off-the-bounce guy? I don't know. I haven't seen a ton of that. And it's 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 hard to compare the OVC defenses and athleticism to West Virginia, but 
it's hard to compare West Virginia's defense to a lot of high major defenses either too, because it just hasn't been very good this year too. Um, I, I just wonder like how good the coaching is for Moorhead State, and can they get their guys to do some of the things that Oklahoma State, Baylor, Oklahoma, Texas have done? Can they get them to play like other teams have and succeeded? That's that's kind of a big key to me. Can they can they mimic what other teams have done? That's always hard this time of year, but it's kind of a goal. You you really kind of do what you do. Can they do that? Will they do that? We'll know more before this game is over, I'm sure, but leads me to this. Can you become something that other people are? And I'm speaking like Moorhead State. Can you borrow a page from another team that has succeeded against West Virginia? Hey, we're going to do ball screens and drive and drive and get layups and layups. Or can you become a team that you haven't been like West Virginia that hasn't been a great defensive team? What would you rather have on your side? Would you like to borrow a page from someone else's playbook? that you may be able to do, or would you rather become the team you haven't been all year to, to stop what the other team might do? I think it's more realistic to be able to borrow a page from someone's playbook, like schematically, and just try it out. Then, I mean, it's not like West Virginia has been actively not trying to play defense. They've been trying to play defense, and they just haven't been able to. So I think if if it, I would rather be the team that's like, hey, you know, we we run, you know, a two big, like West Virginia, we run a two big system. We've never tried a four out before, but it seems this team has mm. runs a lot of guards. I'd much rather run four out. We'll try four out and give it a go and, and see if that works. So I think it's easier to change up your scheme than it is to just try to do something that you've already tried and just can't do. Let's wrap up here. Both sides. One player, one stat, one landmine. So a player who's got to be good, a stat that has to matter, and one landmine that you have to avoid. I'll start. With yes, Moorhead please State. do. Okay, because <laughs> I put you on the spot here. I'll start yeah. with Moorhead State. Uh, I, I I think the fouls are really important because they're not used to it, but they're not used to a team that's going to put pressure on them like I think West Virginia will. Um, and that, that means on both ends. Like They're going to take charges. Like That's that's how they protect the rim now. They try to take charges. You saw McBride try to do that a bunch in the tournament. We've seen Osaboyan do that all year. I think that officials in the Big 12 are like, we're not giving him these charges anymore just because they can't guard the rim. New officials, new eyes, new Unbias, I guess. No, no, John uh, Higgins. Yeah, how about that? So, and I'm not going to comment. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, I think that's going to matter. And again, both these teams are so prolific at the foul line. I think they have key personnel they want on the floor. I just feel like that if this game gets fousy, it's probably going to favor one team and not the other, and that could be a very big difference. So, that would be like the one stat, the one player. For, so, for Morehead State, like, listen, put them in foul trouble status because they don't score like West Virginia does. They just don't. They can't. They have it. Um, if they can get points to the foul line and keep West Virginia from getting points to the foul line, I think that evens things out quite a bit. Player, Talon Cooper's good. I think everybody's going to talk to Broom, but Cooper's a good player who can get points and doesn't. He facilitates the rebounds. He's very good on ball screens, too. So if he can pass or score or get through, and that's that could be a nightmare for West Virginia. Landmine, if West Virginia gets hot from three, um, I don't know what they do then because that's something they've been good at all year. If West Virginia starts making threes, um, that's the spot you got to be careful of. If they're guarding so much against Culver on the inside that they've left Sherman and McNeil and Bridges open because they're so worried about the big guy doing damage down low, they're in trouble then because that opens up everything inside and outside. All right. So tell you me what West, I got to do again. <laughs> you, you take West Virginia. Key stat, key player, and, and what's the one thing to not step on? Okay. Key stat for me, keep it under 12 turnovers. I know we've been talking about Moorhead State not turning it over, but when it comes to playing games against teams that that you should be athletically and physically 
overmatching. You know, the, the key is to limit possessions that they have because that's how they make up for it. They either get hot shooting threes. Well, West Virginia shoots threes too, so that should be a wash kind of. But not letting Moorhead State get offensive rebounds and get extra possessions off turnovers, mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest key stat for West Virginia. So I, if, if I got to get – that's the generic answer. The specific answer is, hey, let's try to keep it under 12 turnovers. Um, anything more than that, you're kind of getting in the red zone here. You're getting um, in the Morgan State territory. Though. Yes, correct. Um, and the key player for me is Miles McBride. Uh, that that comes off of what I was just saying about turnovers, for one. Two, he is going to be the point on this defense. And if they get into this attacking defense where they're going to be doubling guys, trapping guys, Okay. doing different things and really getting up and pressing on him. He's going to be that key guy. Um, he's going to be the one that can really make a difference on here. And I think he could end up with one of those games where it, he forces, he may not end up with, with seven steals, but he forces seven turnovers, you know, guys throwing it out of bounds or someone else getting the steal because he tipped it. And mm-hmm. so I think he is the key player for me in this game on that one. And what was the other one? The landmine. What's the one thing they can't step in? The landmine. Hmm. Well, that's a little tougher. I, I think it, the landmine for me is not, and it's going to follow the same thing that I, theme that I started this podcast with is don't fall in love with the three. I know that's been the identity. I know that's kind of been the way the offense has excelled at times with this four out offense, but we've also seen halves where West Virginia goes two of 14, you know, three of 17. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of shooting that gets you in those 19-point holes like you were in against Oklahoma State on the road earlier in the year. And, yeah, you ended up shooting really well and coming back, but you shouldn't need to rely on 43-pointers to beat Moorhead State. So I think don't I don't think West Virginia – West Virginia can't fall into this trap of let's just start hoisting threes because they if they do run this kind of pack line defense – which is is press or up, press up on the ball when the ball has it, but a little bit sagging off the three point line uh, to take, try to clog the paint. It, it's almost inviting to opposing teams to try to take that semi contested three, and I just don't think West Virginia needs to fall into that trap because I could easily see them going in a half that first half, you know, two of fifteen from three, and it's a one point game. And you're asking why are you shooting so many threes? Yeah, just, three points. Just take it to the line. Three-point shooting, we both agree on it, and this is why it's such a big deal. Um, they hit 11 of 21 on February 6th against Kansas. A couple of days later, uh, 7 of 14 against Texas Tech. Since then, 29.2%, 47.6, 10 out of 21. Um, and then the last six games, 23, 8, 30, 39, 1, 38, 1, 20.8, 30.4, uh, 5, 6, 9, 8, 5, 7, 3. So accustomed to hitting... 10, 11, 12 to, you know, that's like two games for them all of a sudden too. But the, it's it's within them. Can they get it? We'll see. Um, we'll find out. 9.50 on True TV tonight. That's 9.50 in Morgantown and 9.50 in Indianapolis, Chris. <laughs> and then Thank we'll you. keep an eye on the Syracuse-San Diego State game too. Um, got a feeling that we'll be covering one of those two teams on Sunday. Don't want to give away the inning. Otherwise, you won't watch. But spoiler alert. <laughs> Think we'll be here on Sunday. Excellent, 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 excellent. Anything on the site? Any shillings selling? 
So I, you got I mean, it. we're we're going to be loaded up all day long. I mean, we we had the pro day Thursday, so we got results up. We're going to have videos uh, spread out, some stories from interviews that happened afterwards. We had Neil Brown's comments afterwards. Um, again, we're going to get these videos up of the highlights from the event, some pictures, post them up over the next few days. We have a couple of recruiting things going on. Big commitment uh, Thursday afternoon from offensive lineman. You said Chris, huh? Yeah, so it said, said Chris, I said, I was shocked by this because I was told by a capital S source that the the guys that were saying they were coming for official visits in June, that the vast majority of them needed to visit before they would take their commitment. Mm -hmm. That since this was opening back up, they were kind of sort of implementing that rule that that's been a mainstay of most every program for as long as I can remember. That visit first, then you can commit. That was kind of you know put to the wayside over the last year, right. and then then well, it was like three days ago someone told me that, and then this kid commits, and I said, "What? How? What's going on?" Oh, an unsanctioned visit with his family. Um, not <laughs> unsanctioned, but you know, no, it's unsanctioned. I like it. It, it is unsanctioned, but it, it's a visit that any it, you know they can't meet the coaches, they can't talk to the coaches, they can't go into any building that any. Any prospective student can see. So, like, if if Joe Schmo, high school senior, says I'm thinking of going to WVU and calls up for a tour or just wants to walk around, this, the recruits can do the same exact thing. And that is what he did with his family just yesterday or Wednesday, depending on where you when you listen to this, uh, on Wednesday w without notice, and that's how we ended up where with him committing. So. A little bit of a surprise, but uh, another interesting pickup. Uh, it, it, I'm very curious to see how he develops. Big body, strong guy, uh, great program that he plays at. That yeah. program produces a lot of offensive linemen. I was asking why he's playing guard, and it, the answer was because both of his tackles are going to Power 5 programs too. Uh, the right tackle is going to Notre Dame, top 100 player. So uh, he could be a tickle this tackle this fall. Or this spring. That was the other part. Didn't play football in the fall. So nobody's seen him play since the fall of 2019, which is an eternity. So there's a teal chip potential there, too, right? Very much so. Very, very much so. There's, the, I mean, the, the really good teams that, that scout and have connections are going to clean up because of how weird the recruiting and, and, as you said, the fall seasons last year that didn't exist, how weird that was because a lot of players went undiscovered. Um, and if you're not relying on the players coming to you or your contacts trying to center player to you, like if you're a blue blood or, or an almost blue blood and recruiting's, I'm using air quotes, my hotel room here easy because of who you are and who, you know, I think you're endangered a little bit. And if you're good at getting out and networking and you have an eye for, if you have an eye for this situation, like if you understand that there are players out there who didn't play or didn't play a lot of games and don't have film or a lot of film. Um, or that they couldn't get around and go to camps and blow up like they could have. If you understand that and you can tap into that, that's a massive advantage this year. Like it's a chance to really, I don't want to say draw even, but make up some of the gap. Yep, no, pressure. Yep. no pressure. No, not at all. Might matter. All right. I have nothing else. I have a lot coming later today. We'll try to figure out how West Virginia will, I don't say rattle. I don't want to give away. We've talked about it a little bit, but how they will rattle. Um, Morehead State. I think you can rattle Morehead State. Again, there's ways to speed them up. And then I, I watched them yak away a game against Belmont. 
I don't know why, but I've seen a bunch of OBC. I do know why. I don't want to say why, but I've seen a bunch of OBC basketball this year, and I watched them play Belmont. They were up nine with 70 seconds left, and it went to overtime. Um, and I just thought, oh, boy, this team is a little bit shaky. And then, bang, they pop up on the 14 line against the team I cover. And it came to my head right away is that there's a way to 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 rattle this team and shake them up. I think there's ways to do it. That's why I think the turnovers and the pressure and the defense are so important. But that's something we'll write about today. I have a couple of videos from both sides we'll get into. And then some hours from now, we'll have a basketball game. That Thanks. sounds fantastic. Somebody yeah. posted, or I saw on Twitter, was it 710 days since our last March Madness game? Good God. I was actually looking at my Facebook memories today. Um, it popped up my phone. A year ago on Thursday, I had a podcast with Joe Mazzullo, and we were both talking before the podcast about how this pandemic is driving me crazy. It had been like two weeks, <laughs> and we're just like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And here we are, we're like a year later, and at the very worst, like right now, is that the, the the weight before the game is driving me crazy. I, I can certainly take this weight. I can deal with this one. Yeah, I think we'll make it. I think I had a similar, uh, not to drag this podcast on any longer, but yeah, I had a similar thing pop up a year ago on my Facebook, and it was a picture of my kids at Legoland. Remember uh, doing <laughs> yes. the NCAA tournament canceled while I was standing at Legoland during the pandemic and yeah. uh, in California, no less. Uh, but thankfully, no one was there. Because everybody else was paying attention except me, um, and I think I posted on that 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 post when we got back. Oh, I hope that was enough to hold them over for this next two weeks of quarantine. Well, something that Missoula told me in that <laughs> podcast. One more thing: um, when they played the the Final Four game against Duke, that started late, like nine fifty late, and, and he told me that he wished he knew wished he, that now that he knew what wait a minute, he wished he knew then what he knows now. Boy. I, couldn't have made that worse or a very common saying, but he was exhausted by the time they played the game because everybody was so amped up and ready to go. Now it's different for a first game in the tournament than a final four game, but how much, because nobody from either team has really played in the tournament. Gabe Osaboyan played three minutes for Arkansas three years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and these guys want to play. They didn't have it last year. Moorhead state hasn't been here since 2011. It's a big deal for them against a team from the Big 12. West Virginia you know, thought they were going good last year. No, Nobody had a tournament last year. People haven't had this experience, period, or for a long time. It's going to be a long, long day today. And I just remember Missoula telling me I was beat. Like, by the time that game started, I was so tired because I didn't know how demanding that day was going to be mentally and physically before you even played. And I wonder, again, how I think there's, I think there's points. I think there's momentum created, salvaged, squandered, lost before this game starts today. I think the first four to eight minutes are really important, and we'll see. We'll see who's game plan for the not game, because I think that, I think that's a coaching thing right there. Can you get your team chill, off their feet, relax, calm, and, like, like, listen, save your ferocity, save your nerve, save your angst, save your aggression for the 40 minutes on the floor and not the eight hours until the game. We'll see. Well, I think you, you can get some rest before the game because you're going to need it. You're going to be up late. We're all going to be up late, so... The hardest part running from press row to my car <laughs> when they chase me out of there with their batons. <laughs> yes. Can't wait. Been a long time since Lucas Oil Stadium. I don't have great memories from there. Last time I was feet away from Deshaun Butler. That's not something that wants singe in my memory forever. So, hey, maybe some some new sights and sounds tomorrow. Good to be back on the road covering basketball live and in person. Until then, I'm Mike Cazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.